Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And uh, we might sound a little different on this episode than normal. We are following the guidelines for shelter in place and doing our first uh, remote recording where I am at the uh, Fighting Over the VCR studio and Nancy is in her home where yeah. she is keeping us all safe and herself <laughs> safe from potentially deadly viruses. I'm here with podcast. Not that I am contaminated. I have not We don't been know that. Diagnosed. We don't we don't I know that. That is the whole point of this. We're just the following whole point the of this. The whole point of this is because who knows? And oh my God. all we do know is that we've got two new movies to talk about this this episode. Um, two light <clears throat> movies. Two comedies. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, that's what people need these days. And, and to be honest, the, uh, I mean, come on, let's be let's be serious here. We are not pioneering this way of podcasting in any means. This is how lots of podcasts are done. So I think um, a vast majority of them are done this way. But uh, Nancy and I are not necessarily the most technically savvy people when it comes to doing this. I mean, this is a hobby, not a profession. So. I think it was, it, this has been a cool experience to try and get this done. Mm-hmm. So anyway, learn new things. Uh, bear, bear, bear with us. Hopefully the sound and everything is okay for everybody. And um, let's talk about some movies. I'm going to talk about a movie um, in the second half of the podcast that um, a, a fun comedy from 1978 called Foul Play, which not a lot of people have seen, but it actually got nominated for a lot of awards. And Nancy's going to start us off talking about a movie from 1991 called Soap Dish. Now, Nancy, before you get started, I think it's pretty safe to say that um, you did grow up for quite a few years watching soap operas, correct? Oh, absolutely. I... I was a fan of Days of Our Lives in Another World from a very, very young age. In fact, we've talked about this in previous episodes. One of my great fears in life has been getting amnesia, which is all because of soap operas. Ah. So, yes. so Amnesia is almost like a annual theme that occurs on a soap opera. So I had so much exposure to how, uh, how common amnesia could be at such a young age that growing up I was like, huh, it would be a real bummer to get amnesia at some point. And I somehow got it programmed in my brain that it was a real possibility when obviously not very common. But well, yeah, it's a, I watched a ton of soap operas. Well, well it's a good thing that we're, uh, it's a good thing that we're recording an episode of a podcast talking about your love of soap operas. So in case you ever do get amnesia, you'll remember that you used to like soap operas. If I even remember that I did a podcast well, and could find it. But yes, our podcast episodes are kind of a journal of sorts for the two of us. And... <laughs> so but... go ahead, Nance. So, so this movie is a very funny, silly movie of all the kind of behind-the-scenes antics that happen on the soap opera The Sun Also Sets, starring um, 
you know, Sally Field as the soap opera diva, Celeste Halbert, who has been like the maven of this television show. She's won all the awards. Um, she's got a lot of disgruntled coworkers that all, you know, act like they like her to her face, but are all seething behind the scenes, including the producer played by none other than Robert Downey Jr., who I think is hilarious in this movie. You also have Kevin Klein playing um, this kind of down-and-out actor who has a very sordid past with Sally Field's character. Um, Kathy Moriarty, who plays a villain. Terry Hatcher with very, very large 80s hair. Um, also playing a, a, a doctor, but kind of a villain. Whoopi Goldberg plays the head writer on the show and her best friend. And Matt, you even get a cameo from Carrie. You know, you even get Carrie Fisher in this movie. Not a she's huge in, role. Not a huge role. But she's so quite good. a few, quite a few scenes. And um, yeah, we'll get back to that. Um, but also, key key player in this show is in this movie is Elizabeth Shue, who plays who we think at first is Sally Field's um, niece, but in soap opera fashion, it turns out she was actually her daughter. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, you know, the show, I mean, the movie is, I mean, it does not take itself seriously at all. I mean, it knows from the second that this, that the movie titles roll that this is going to be a big, silly kind of spoof on soap operas. And again, when this movie came out, I had watched who knows how many thousands of hours of soap operas at this point in my life, but I was very ready for a silly kind of soap opera spoof. And um, you know, this movie came out about almost 10 years after Tootsie came out and Tootsie centers around a soap opera. We will eventually talk about that movie. The The humor of that movie in terms of how that soap opera plays out is very different from this one. Um, but this movie, it's just so great. I mean, I think Kevin Klein is hilarious in it. He is a little bumbling in it. You know, he's, you know, because he just has struggled. And I think he's one of those actors that, you know, he... We first see him playing um, Willie Loman as a death of a salesman in a very sad, sad Florida dinner theater where everything around him is falling apart or loud noises or people crashing and he just can't be taken seriously. You know, his dream is to have a one man production of Hamlet off Broadway, you know, very high aspirations. Um, you know, and Sally Field's character you know, she's just, she's worn out. You know, she's very exhausted by being in soap operas and she's always going to her friend Rose, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and just saying, you know, tell me I should quit. I shouldn't keep doing this, right? And she's like, sure, you should quit. You should give this up. And, but then she'll, you know, remind her, oh, well, you know, clearly this actor needs a little ego boost, which everyone on this entire movie does. Let's uh, go to the mall and uh, see if you get recognized by people and let's spend, you know, four hours you signing autographs and making you feel good. I mean, I guess those kind of in-person, um, in-person like autograph signing is comparable now to, you know, like Instagram likes or Facebook likes or something nowadays. It's just a very silly, silly movie. I mean, um, Kathy Moriarty's character is potentially like the most complex character in the movie. And she, from the very beginning, is trying to plot to get um, Celeste Talbert kicked off the show because she's um, she's withholding sex. 
from the producer, Robert Downey Jr., and is just say, you know, telling him, look, until you get rid of her, it's not going to happen. And, you know, he's always trying to think, okay, how are we going to make this happen? But, you know, Rose is very, very protective of Celeste and won't let anything bad happen to her. So, you know, things go on and, you know, the silly story of, you know, they needed homeless people cast for whatever reason, but not ugly. There's a lot of ugly homeless people that were cast. So Elizabeth Shue kind of forces her way into Carrie Fisher's office after Carrie Fisher had hooked up with what, Costas Mandalore, right? She had a little fling with him or something. I'm not sure who the actor was, but all I know is is that he was um, trying out for a part as a waiter. Uh-huh. And she said, can we try it without your shirt on? <laughs> Which um, it is probably my favorite part in the entire movie is Carrie Fisher flipping the script on the whole casting director oh, yeah. a- angle. Oh, yeah. And, um, oh, and not I thought that, that was I mean, great. She, and then when she's filming it, she's like panning down his body. I mean, just so. Well, so and then, well, and then when she when Elizabeth Shue and Lori, she kind of forces her way into her office. Like it, it's really quick, but you see her like straightening up her skirt. Like she had just yep. had sex with it. It was so yep. great. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was perfect. Elizabeth Shue forces her way onto the show and, you know, surprises her aunt Celeste that she's there in town and she's dropping out of school and this and that. And, you know, over the course of the movie, again, it gets revealed that uh, Celeste isn't actually the aunt. It's She's her mom, and Kevin Klein is the dad, and just this soap opera within the soap opera. And I don't know, it's just very funny to me. The whole thing cracks me up. And again, it, you know, something that was very of the time for me. I don't know if you remember this, Matt, because um, I don't know how much you ever really, like, watched any of the shows with me. But do you, oh. do you did you notice that it's Patch? That you mean you mean you mean Steve? It, Steve. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have in my notes. Patch, also Steve from Days of Our Lives yes. gives out the awards. Yes. <laughs> I'm. Do you, I, I do feel you remember? I feel ridiculous that I know that, but I watched so many. I watched so many episodes of Days of Our Lives because we were at home during the summer together and mom was at work or something and you were you know quote-unquote babysitting me because you were the older one yeah so I ended up watching way more soap operas than I ever you used to watch days of our lives um as the world world. uh another world world. you watched Santa Barbara for a while like a year maybe yeah and I I have all my children yeah, I don't I don't remember you watching All My Children, but I think your I friend was watching it. I mean your friend was watching it, yeah. Yeah. But um <laughs> there's there's an a possibly slightly embarrassing story about you where I remember oh god. I I there was a time where the cable provider we had dropped the station that was playing your soap opera, but it was over the regular airwaves. So you used to have to go out in the morning to switch the cable antenna from the antenna to the cable in order to record your soap operas. 
And there was times where you forgot to do it or you had like asked dad to do it and he didn't do it or something. And you would miss like a whole day's worth of soap operas and be so pissed. You'd be like, now I don't know what happened. It'd be devastating. I vaguely remember that. I don't remember. I'm trying to picture where the box was. It was in the backyard. You, You would have had to go out the sliding door around the back to the backyard behind the kitchen. And then it oh was, my God. and then it was near the roof, so you had to use like a broom <laughs> handle to switch it because a you're not tall, and b no. there's no ladder, but it was like dangling on wow. like a hook, and, and you used to have to like switch that in order to record <laughs> your soap operas, because I mean, I was committed. Well. It, like you're not committed to television now. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you could actually say that soap operas, like, trained you for your commitment to television now. Yeah. But, I'm, uh, I'm not arguing. But what's yeah. hilarious is the idea of missing one or two episodes as if that's the end of the world because so much stuff gets kind of played over and over and over again. It's not, I mean, not that they replay the episodes, but you would figure out what happened even if you miss a day or two, but no, I'm sure it felt devastating because that's what I liked to do back then. That was, do you remember that the love theme for Patch and Kayla was Lady in Red by Krista Berg? Do you remember that? No. Remember that really cheesy song? Anyway. No. I just remember, I think the only reason why I remember Patch slash Steve is because he had an eye patch and that seemed cool when I was a child. Of course it was. He, he was awesome. But he. Someone, uh, someone's got to bring back eye patches, maybe. I don't know. I, I brought no. one back for like a week and that was. I know. That was not fun. Painful. Anyway, so yeah. But, soap but dish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so this, this, you know, soap dish again, it's just very silly. I mean, it's very funny. I mean, Sally Field does some incredible work. I mean, she's just just everything that's so extreme about her getting upset about something or getting mad about something or being hysterical. I mean, just, I feel like, you know, here she had already won Academy Awards for things. She'd already done lots of serious things in her career along with other silly things. But this, I just felt like was a great showcase for her to just kind of let loose and just be this extreme character. And, you know, Elizabeth Shue, we met her seven, eight years ago, you know, prior to this with Karate Kid. So it was nice to see her in another movie. And, we were for, oh, and of course, we'd seen her in, like, um, Adventures of Babysitting in the meantime. So she was, it, it wasn't unreasonable to Cocktail. see her play this. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be on the list one day, Matt. It's going to oh, be on wonderful. the list. Um, you may want to reconsider putting Risky Business on the list so we can also talk about Cocktail, but another discussion um no and and there's other aside from just the you know long lost parents you didn't know your parents existed plot line i mean there's even a someone's not the gender that they claim to be storyline that you know maybe wouldn't play as well now it might be kind of a dated storyline but boy for this movie it was really really funny with you know Uh Montana not being Montana and actually being Milton. Yeah. I I I'd like to say I mean I think he, there were times where I laughed in this movie, but I think it it's your 
because of your soap opera background that you probably enjoyed this way more than me or most people would. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't find a it lot that of people that love this movie. I, Come on. I, I just don't. I, I, I got, I was kind of bored. Um, I had seen it already. So all the, you know, all the twists yeah. were not surprising to me at all because I had seen it once before. Um, I, th- I mean, I'm pretty sure the only reason why I ever saw this movie in the first place was because you had rented it or watched it. And I happened to be, and I watched it at the same time. Um, it, I mean, uh, I think my favorite character in this is probably a tie between Carrie Fisher and Kevin Klein, mm. um, only because Carrie Fisher is amazing and Kevin Klein, um, he got nominated for an, uh, a, uh, a golden globe for this, for, mm. for comedy. So in, in, I've always liked Kevin Klein. He, you know, he's, I think, um, he kind of did this movie after Fish Call Wanda, and mm-hmm. um, there's something about Kevin Klein that reminds us, or reminds me of one of our uncles, and I think it's his mustache. Yes, <laughs> yes, and Matt um, and I are not together, but I mouthed who he, who I thought it was, and I yes. agree with him. And yes, and it's, it's it's not just his mustache, but also kind of the cadence in his voice. Yes. Yes, I can and, completely um, agree. So, um, so I've always kind of liked Kevin Klein, um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just I was not I I was not feeling this movie as much. It's not that it's it's not terrible. It's not like god awful. But like one of my notes that I have is um, you know you've got Sally Field, you've got Kevin Klein, Robert Downey Jr. You've got a lot of like known like critically acclaimed actors in this movie and just like it might be for soap opera actors, it must be really hard to act this bad because it is oh. so bad. I mean, well, and, and I think that's part of the shtick, like the whole shtick yes. is, yes. oh, we're making, we are making a movie about a soap opera, but let's have everyone in it act like they're in a soap opera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well and, and again, for someone that had watched so many hours of soap operas before watching this movie and now watching it, with the background of having watched so many soap operas from so many years ago, but also watching my housewives shows. Cause honestly, the real housewives shows are basically modern soap operas. I mean, and they have some of the same problems. Like when they were talking about how, Oh, you, you took the whole storyline down to the Caribbean and boy, we're just stuck here and we can't get out of this storytelling rut. Some of the housewives seasons have these kind of problems where you're just like, why are these women still on these shows? They have nothing interesting to say. They're not taking them on any interesting vacations. What the heck is going on? So from that standpoint, also like that behind the scenes thing that they're doing in the show, like how Gary Marshall is, you know, the upper exec and, you know, he and um, Robert Downey Jr. and Rose to an extent are kind of the three of them battling or coming to heads about what the direction of the show needs to be, I find all that stuff very funny and very interesting because it's like, yes, that's kind of important because you kind of set, you lay the, the groundwork in it for a certain direction that the show has got to go in. And because they, they produce so many episodes, you're stuck on that path for a while. Like you can't just you know rip it apart. I mean, do you know why I gave up watching Days of Our Lives? Because they, they made Marlena possessed. 
I could not handle devil possession. <laughs> when they show her levitating above the bed, it was like 94, 1995. I'm like, I'm done. I'm in college now. I don't have time for Days of Our Lives anymore. I mean, and I had been committed to that show for, I don't know, 13, 14 years. But I gave it up because I couldn't do it anymore. But that was one of those examples of when a show does something just so, so dumb and you have to let go of it. And it's huge in soap operas because you're talking about such a large cast. And for the most part, you have to keep the whole cast somewhat intertwined. Like, why were, why was, okay, for the scene towards the end when they're trying to do the live episode to figure out which of the three of them gets to stay on the show. And the whole, she's got brain fever. Well, she needs a brain transplant. And, like, they're going to rig a surgical table right there on the bar using, you know, cocktail napkins as a pillow. And <laughs> Montana just happens to have a brain saw, or a, you know, a, a, a saw and, you know, the ether right then and there. I mean, but why would they even all be together in the Caribbean? Like, it just, anyways, I, I just, I just think the pace of the movie, I mean, it's not a super long movie. I think it's an hour and 35 minutes, typical for a comedy. I, I thought it went by fast, um, and it is very silly, but it was definitely fun for an afternoon. It just, you know, and, and again, this came out after Sally Field did Steel Magnolias, so she gets very upset and very emotional in Steel Magnolias, and I feel like some of her crying and screeching is somewhat similar <laughs> to what she did in Steel Magnolias <laughs> just a couple years before, so... You don't think it, it might is. be kind of an homage to that? Like, she had to do that so much in Steel Magnolias that, like, it was almost like not necessarily making fun of her character, but just kind of being like, oh, we yeah. can have her be do like, like a nod to the, it. the cry. We could have her do the crying, but now it's for like the dramatic effect in a yeah. totally different, in a comedic way. You know? Yeah. Anyway, but I got a lot of enjoyment. Um, favorite, my favorite character. Um, I like Rose a lot. I like Kevin Klein a lot, and I like Robert Downey Jr. a lot. So I really, it's somewhere between the three of them. But I mean, Catherine Moriarty as a villain is so perfect. I mean, she's got such like a deep husky voice, and she just is so ruthless in it. And then for her story to kind of evolve the way it did, um, so. I'm not, I, I can't I can't figure out which of the three of them I like the most. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg was really on a high at this point, too, because I think she just finished doing Ghost, so she was just so popular, and it was great to see her be in this role. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those. It's one of those three, either Robert Downey Jr., Kevin Klein, or Whoopi Goldberg. I can't decide. Well, <clears throat> I would probably, if I had to sway you in any direction I'd probably if I were you go with Kevin Klein only because he's probably the best acting in this Robert Downey Jr. just kind of I don't know there's something about him in this movie where it's like we're so used to seeing him in as like Iron Man that like we have like this persona that we like have attached him to because he did that he's done so many movies as that character and then we watch him, I watch him in this where he's much younger, still kind of battling some of his demons in mm -hmm. his personal life. Downy demons. His, his downy demons. There you go. Um, but 
he just seems like not all there sometimes. I don't know. I just didn't really buy like this whole character he's playing. And Whoopi Goldberg, I do think that she was. Um, I liked her in this movie. Um, she was probably one of the only like real characters in the movie that you could be like, oh yeah, I could kind of relate to this person because this they is see, what the head it, writer because she like. was not well, and she wasn't over re- overacting and it's overly dramatic for no necessary reason. Yeah. Whereas every other character in it just seemed like, <laughs> like they never stopped being on the soap opera again, which is kind of part of the, probably part of the whole direction of the movie. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what was your favorite scene? Um, it's probably when Celeste reveals like all the truth bombs in the right before Jeffrey and Lori were about to kiss and. You know, it does that zoom in on her face, no, and then she runs into the room and, like, jumps on backs and just, like, does the whole just unloading. She's your daughter, you nitwit. (laughs) Figure it out. I think think that scene, just because it's so, you know. Well, and then I love how. Very funny. I think the, the other part of that scene where she talks about how, like, I faked that I had a twin that was your mom that died. I, <laughs> I mean, like, exactly. How more, so, how more soap opera can you get? Well, I mean, and, and even the reveal that, like, the show forced her to do it and it was all in her contract. I mean, yeah. I don't know. They said I had TB and I, I don't know. But it. Yeah, I think that's my favorite scene. I it's just again so silly, but everything kind of comes out, and you know, um, David uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is like, wow. I mean, he didn't even know that it would unleash the way it did because I think he had. Um, that's right. They had um, he and Montana had rewritten the scene, so Rose didn't know what was about to happen, and he had right. rewritten it for Jeffrey and Lori to kiss, and that's when they ran downstairs and right before but yeah yeah i think that's my favorite scene if not that then maybe sally field hanging off a drain pipe (laughs) just just that shot of her just her completely losing her mind and you know climbing up and then just uh, her going nuts like i hope you're wearing underwear oh my god he's so funny he's so funny so and you had already said your favorite scene was um, Carrie Fisher doing the um, yeah, it's doing either the that interview with Costas Mandalore. It's either that or when um, um, Jack is um, hallucinating and he keeps imagining uh, the neighbors coming over and seeing like that he's having an affair, and then uh, Terry Gar comes in and is like, "I can't believe you had it." Oh wait, that was Mr. Mom, a much better soap opera scene. <laughs> I was gonna say, what are you talking about? Yes, you that fake that, like, that fake Hatchel? that that fake soap opera scene in Mr. Mom was way the better best. than ever. It was way better than anything in this movie. Just well, that, that scene. Well, Mr. Mom is, you know, you know how much I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, well, I, you know, I again. There's not a whole lot for me to talk about for with this movie, other than I just I just find it hilarious. I think it's very very funny, and I was really glad to rewatch it. I had not seen it easily twenty years. It's just you know my pattern. I don't rewatch things without unless it's assigned to me lately. So I hadn't really even seen it in a long long time, but I really enjoyed it. I don't feel like 
other than maybe the whole sex change thing, um, that that kind of story I think nowadays wouldn't feel very right. You know. As, well, I don't think I, that I, I don't, if you could really relate. I don't think that don't think like a lot of people could relate to this movie that much, only because those like soap operas have gone like they're gone i mean i don't even think there are really there's maybe like one daytime soap opera on now if that i'm not sure how, i'm not sure yeah so maybe maybe it isn't something that if you didn't grow up watching this so like maybe after if you're over if you're under the age let's just say for argument's sake if you're under the age of 30 maybe you didn't grow up watching a lot of soap operas or have an opportunity yeah. to see lots. So maybe it wouldn't be as appealing to someone under the age of maybe even 25. Let's just be generous. Well, well, I think, I, I guess if I, cause there's two things that are, well, there's something that's really unique about, maybe not two, but there's something that's really unique about soap operas was it was, it was daily. And when they started, they were live. So, I mean, you really kind of, like to have a commitment to a show meant that like you were bringing these people into your household every day, yeah. you know, you know, except for on weekends. And um, I, I guess probably maybe the closest thing to that, that you would have nowadays is um, like telenovelas, you know, and yeah. I don't even know how yeah. often they, I don't know how often they air, but if they're not daily, you know, it's, it's, a, it's along that same vein is the, yeah, well, well, television watching has changed. Like the nature of watching TV is just, change so drastically um with so much stuff that's available to binge on demand um whole entire series are available all at once so people pace it differently so there's not this i have to make sure that i've flipped the the cable box from a to b to make sure that my um show got recorded correctly because it's so important that at noon i record days of our lives like that's not really something most people worry about anymore are you sure you don't you don't worry about that. I don't worry about that anymore. <laughs> uh, I just remember like you getting up in the morning and like grabbing a stick to move the, to that. Like, I mean, that is feeling. Thing. Yeah, I I'm, I'm not challenging that. I I am remembering that now that you mention it. Or That's like funny. if it, you did, or if you didn't record it, like you didn't set the tape right, or like making sure like on your weekends or at night you like that's like scan like i remember you like being like oh i hate these characters and just like fast forwarding through like whole scenes because you hated the, the plot lines and you knew you had like eight hours of soap operas to watch so okay so since we since we did talk about days of our lives i'll just ask i'll just see if you remember one other character do you remember um kind of a villainous character with a mustache named victor kiriakis yeah didn't he just pass away I think I, he passed away. I'm going to confirm that, but do you know who he is? Do you know what makes him famous for another reason? Uh, I I know he's famous for another reason, but I can't pinpoint it off the top of my head. So maybe you he, can tell me why he, you're his, looking at His it. daughter is incredibly famous. Um, his, his I, don't, daughter, I don't even know the actor's name, so I wouldn't uh, be able to. He's Jennifer Aniston's dad. Oh! And he is still alive. So. He is still alive. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his character, his character probably died like ten times on Days of Our Lives. Probably but... people die and come back from the dead, or come back with new personalities, or hey, if you're Roman Brady, you come, you die as one actor, and then you come back as someone else, and you get named John Black for a while. You know that story? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and the actor who played John Black, a lot more attractive than the original Roman Brady. Sorry, Roman Brady. 
anyways. Crazy. Yep, soap operas, large part of my life. So. Well, I'm but... glad for that reason we had to watch that movie. <laughs> well, this, this discussion went in directions I had no idea it was going to go. So that's been... I hope our listeners aren't bored out of their minds listening to my history with soap operas. Well, if anyone out there that is listening watched soap operas or had a mom or sister that watched soap operas, please let us know because... <laughs> Probably really. We'd, lo- we'd love to hear what soap operas they watched and if they were as, uh, as obsessed. Because, cause, well, like, and I think you got into them also because, like, our grandma, Grandma Rose, she watched mm-hmm. them. And um, mom. Ma- mom watched them a little bit. And I think one of the reasons why you got into the ones, some of the ones that you did is we had, like, a babysitter when we were really, when we were young enough to where we had to have someone else watch us. I think they watched one of the soap operas too. And, and then I um, picked up all my children because Amy watched it. That was something she and I talked about early on in our friendship. Yeah. So I and and on all my children, we got to inter- we got introduced to a very young Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos. That's how they met, and they became mm. they got married in real life and have been together ever since. He played a yeah. guy named Mateo, and she played Haley. Ah, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Something we have to talk about offline then. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, well then I'm glad, you know, for that reason, (laughs) yes, I'm glad we had to watch this movie. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't pay for watching this movie though. I found it free somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, so did I. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely worth it for anyone who's ever had any interest in, and, and honestly in any kind of serialized television show, I think they could get some kind of humor out of it, especially shows that get very strange you know i mean soap operas can soap operas can get pretty weird so yeah gotta make it interesting another trial (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah well all right well i'm going to let's let's switch gears here and i'm going to talk about a movie called foul play which uh came out in 1978 our second movie, written and directed by Colin Higgins, who also did Nine to Five, mm. and um, this is a movie that um, I remember seeing on television. Um, it was probably on what in the Bay Area, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the Bay Area, you knew it as channel 2 ktvu or or they would play it on um channel 44 mm-hmm. which was the um kcra the, uh, the other local kind of station that was not like an, an one of the big networks in the bay area if you grew up in the 80s and 90s around here so i'd see it on tv all the time and um i just remember watching it and a few things really kind of standing out about it that like really probably is probably like one of them being probably the one thing that you're like, Oh, I can't believe this about this movie. Um, but this movie stars Goldie Hawn as, um, as Gloria Mundy. Mundy. She is a divorced librarian who little naive little kind of little little spacey 
and um, Chevy Chase, who plays Lieutenant Tony Carlson of the SFPD, and Gloria is kind of a victim of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she gets caught up um, in a murder plot where um, some people are trying to kill the Pope. And um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. But um, <laughs> she, she finds herself um, picking up a hitchhiker who then, who is actually an undercover cop that she we don't that she doesn't know that and he slips her some film of some photos that show what is going you know the plot of who was involved and what's going to happen to assassinate the pope and um so the whole movie she is being um they they know that she was in contact with this undercover cop the, the bad guys do and um the whole movie is them kind of chasing her to either kill her or get the film that he slipped her because of her kind of quirkiness as i'll put it 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 lands in it in her and being in a lot of very kind of funny situations um now Chevy Chase, it, you know, he plays the cop, and we she actually meets him at a party before she meets the undercover cop. So she kind of knows who he is, but eventually he becomes the one that investigates a murder that happens in her apartment um, from of somebody who is also looking for the film. So the two of them kind of have kind of a back and forth kind of play. Kind of he's he's constantly hitting on her, and she's you know you know downplaying it and they're flirting back and forth and have this flirty relationship and eventually that you we get some action and some excitement as they try and stop this assassination um and like i said we meet a lot of kind of fun characters and the funny situations as this whole thing as the whole plot ensues um and eventually they stop the assassination of the Pope and everyone's all happy. And it's a fun, like little, little comedy. And in my rewatch of this movie, there were definitely things about it where I was like, man, I, I can't believe I haven't watched this movie in so long. There's some really kind of just funny, great things that happen in it. Um, but then again, it's also a little dated. It's, you know, it, it's, it takes place. It's 1978, you know, and over 40 years ago. And, and, I could see something like this happening in a movie these days, but it kind of had like this very, like there's some parts of the movie that are kind of intense and kind of scary. And um, probably the biggest, literally biggest (laughs) is um, one of the people that is constantly trying to find Gloria is this character named Whitey Jackson, who is an albino. And I just, shit out of me. And it scared the shit out of us like oh my god here was this guy and he's got like white eyes and or and all white hair and, and everything and wore a white suit he wore all white i mean they it was part i think it was all kind of part of his his like hitman shtick i mean in and, and everyone and like other guys had like like 
his boss was named the dwarf. I mean, there was definitely other things about some of the characters. There's a guy named Scarface who had a scar on his face. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, it was they're quirky. But uh, yeah, the albino, which is pretty much all we called him. We didn't even know his name. It was just like the albino. Oh. Yeah. It was probably our first experience of seeing of like this phenomenon and seeing someone like this. And it was just kind of when I first saw this movie, I was probably four or five. I mean, yeah, me we too. were young. Yeah, yeah, we were young we, when we, we saw this. We were way too young to see this when we did. In rewatching it, you like you start having those like sense memories of like, oh, my God, I can't. You know, I remember this and it being freaky. Of course, it didn't really freak me out this time, but it was you still have that like same like yeah. memory of it like freaking you out the other really kind of funny and fun character in this um we get the first american screen appearance of dudley moore and who plays stanley tibbetts who gloria in trying to get away from the albino she goes into a bar who's with that's having like a mingle kind like a night it's a hookup night where like you go to this bar and you find someone to hook up with and you go home with them oh shoot oh Oh. it cut out for a second yeah i'm here you were saying how is that different than how is that different from any other night at a bar (laughs) well because people don't i don't think people go to bars to hook up anymore they do it all online (laughs) or they do it rarely at bars but anyway, so um, so she meets Stanley, and she, the the dialogue is so great in these oh scenes God. with Stanley because everything she is saying can either be taken as "I need help, get me out of here because I'm being chased," or "Please take me home with you so we can have sex." <laughs> so he reads it that way, brings her to his apartment, which seems very innocent at first and then as you're panning around you see like paintings of like warrior women with no clothes on and statues that are you know he he gives her a drink and it's spanish fly and all of a sudden you know she's like oh can i get some binoculars so she can look out the window to see if the if the albino's chasing her and he's like oh you're into that too? I read about that in Penthouse. <laughs> and and it's just so great. Like as as it goes on, like it, it like it just gets building and building and building this oh, little scene in so the apartment. Great. And it's so great. And and that is probably my favorite scene in it's the entire my movie. Scene. It is so good how and it's it really brings that like it it, it that's like the where the humor really peaks yeah I think. He, he's he's really responsible for a bulk of the humor because i mean goldie hahn she she's very daffy in this movie you know she, people don't believe her you know because these bodies that are getting killed right in front of her seem to be disappearing because the this hitman squad is very very sophisticated and they're cleaning up the bodies immediately um, so she has no proof, so she's just constantly battling, like, no one's gonna believe me, and she kind of comes off, um, 
little ditzy too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she, she picked up the hitchhiker. I mean, and she only picked up the hitchhiker because Chevy Chase was so creepy at that party. If he'd just been a little more normal, she would have gone home with him and there would have been no movie. Well, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that she wouldn't have gone home with him, but she was acting that way also because her friend who was hosting the party was like kind of pushing her to hook up with somebody like so, find someone at some the party. cleavage i wish her friend told her so yeah um but no i the deadly moore stuff deadly moore is my favorite character in this movie and that scene is hilarious like i kind of had remembered that scene i don't think i've seen this movie maybe more than twice and i probably saw, saw it both times in the early 80s because i was yeah. so afraid of the albino who yeah. did not scare me this time. Good. I will Although I will say, from other movies I've watched, I don't think necessarily movies we've seen what, that we've covered on our show, but libraries are a very interesting place for, like, a mystery. Like, to get chased through a library because it's kind of like a maze in a way. You have all these different rows you can hide in and whatnot. So I thought the setting of the library was excellent. For yeah. her to run run through and like to knock stuff down and go upstairs and I thought that was great. I also but... really liked um and and you know there's been a ton of movies that have been set in San Francisco but a lot like um the game which we watched mm-hmm. and talked mm-hmm. about um just the setting of San Francisco in this is so great. Yeah. I mean there's um there's even a car chase scene uh, near the end when they're trying to get to to stop the assassination that's going you know up and down the hills which is very Similar to probably stuff that was on the streets of San Francisco and Bullet yeah. and all this it other kind of stuff. It went on a little long for me, to be honest. Yeah, but, I, mean, I mean, can, can, that was Chevy probably... Trace, can Chevy Chase drive a car and not crash it? Why did he need five cars to just deal well, with that? Well, I'll say, I'll say this. Because he's so goofy. Between between the opera scene and that, that might have been the most expensive scene in the entire movie. So, oh, I'm I mean, sure they, wanted, they wanted to get their money's worth. <laughs> I forget where I was going with that, but... The rest, I mean, this movie definitely, um, it has a lot of, it's got thrills, it's got chills, it's got comedy, it's got, it even has, like, the whole, like, I never caught on to this as a kid, because I was a kid, but um, the whole, like, plan of why they wanted to assassinate the Pope, I was like, fantastic. I was like, oh my god, I was like, tax the churches exactly it was all about taxing the churches and i was like churches oh my god tax exempt maybe maybe <laughs> i don't maybe i don't agree with assassinating the pope but i kind of agree with what they're talking about here i was like, I was like oh my god this is it. that's their cause this is so I mean, I'm not really. I I think I'm on the bad guy's side here. Maybe I don't want to murder anybody, and maybe I wouldn't have hired the the albino and the dwarf. But and the dwarf, which is very misleading, because he's not a small. Okay, and here's another thing. There's three short people in this movie between the actual dwarf, the Bible salesman, Dudley Moore, who you know reached the heights of five foot three, and of course Burgess Meredith. He's not a tall guy either. So you got well, all these like shorter male actors in this movie yeah. and you're hearing about some dwarf character. Yeah. And you're just like, who's it going to be? And then it's just like some normal height guy. Yeah. Mr. Well, Stillskin. So let's 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 talk about um Burgess Meredith because he 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 
he's probably my favorite character in this movie. Mm. Um, he plays Mr. Hennessy, the landlord and and father figure to Gloria, who has some ex- who's kind of eccentric. But uh, yeah, with his gigantic snake, he has a pet boa Not constrictor. Yeah, <laughs> his pet uh, boa constrictor. Um, what's his name? Esme. Esme. Esme, who um, he just like lets roam around, and and I've known a couple people who've had boa constrictors who do that, who just let them kind of you know take them out of the out of their uh, little aquarium or uh, terrarium and and let them roam around for a little bit and everything, and but he also really saves Gloria oh. and and Tony because he's a black belt in karate. And um, there's this wonderful fight scene between him and one of the villains, where a um, female villain, the female villain, where they where they fight, and um, it's great. And he oh, is just awesome. like he's super funny, and and he's got like this really kind of wholesome kind of kind of quality, but also like he really wants to protect her. Mm-hmm. Like if you're gonna get in any trouble, you know, you let them you bring them to me and I'll take care of them, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and, you know, and and this was my, I think my first experience with, with him because I saw this before I saw Rocky or any of the, in the Rocky movies. And before I was, I watched him as the penguin in the Batman TV show. Although we probably saw Clash of the Titans before we saw foul play. Probably about the same time. I I, want to say I was probably about the same age that yeah. I saw this but you know if it, it's funny how like he ends up being a character an actor that we see a ton of when we're children and you know and we can only name him in like five things you know but uh but yeah I uh, uh I really like no, he's fantastic in this him movie. in this movie the other the other whole thing I wanted to mention is is there's this whole kind of plot where the murder is going to happen, or the, the, the assassination of the, of the Pope is going to happen when the Pope comes to San Francisco, and one of the things he does is goes and sees this opera. And I don't, I didn't remember much about the opera. I didn't really care that much. But when the music was on, I was like, it like had, again, that whole sense of memory. I, I know this song, and I was like, oh, this is the opera. Okay, now I get it. And I could put two and two together. And then wonderful plot twist who is the conductor oh yeah at, at the opera it's dudley moore's character is the conductor <laughs> so we go full circle with dudley moore gloria and tony save the pope and it ends up just kind of having that same kind of kind of fun wackiness that we get from like nine to five which serious you know serious issues but for with a comedic spin yeah um and then uh, the other movie that I mentioned when we talked about Nine to Five was Harold and Maude, done by mm-hmm. Colin, also by Colin Higgins. Similar kind of vein, you know, takes place in San Francisco, has kind of a, a very, very funny, but yet has very serious undertones. So I think that that's one of those like interesting things that like for I think for me and you, for comedies, you know, it's nice to have a comedy that's not just like sometimes dumb comedies are fun because you could just have them on and just laugh but yeah. sometimes comedies that make you think a little bit or have some other yeah. kind of kind of undertones you know 
I mean, I, what, dramatic or serious or murderous or whatever, kind of kind of fun well, to watch too. I'm very picky with comedy, so it's 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 yeah. I'm just pickier with comedies, but I found this one great. And and you know, there's a lot of heavy stuff in this movie, so I wouldn't necessarily just label it outright a comedy through and through. I mean, it's, no, no, it's but, got, um, it, it it definitely has that like thriller angle that i think people could watch it and like yeah there's like funny things that happen i mean chevy chase at this point you know he was in he had been in saturday night live and one of his big things on saturday night live was always like falling over things yeah and like tripping and falling over. so when she he takes her to his houseboat he's like oh it's slippery here and he and he she walks by perfectly and then for no real given reason he falls into the water yeah. And clearly that was done intentionally to, you know, like homage his time on Saturday Night Live and connect to it. I mean, he didn't have to, there was no reason he had to fall in the water. He just did. Well, he spilled everything in the first two minutes of the movie. Like he spilled all the stuff that was on the bar. When, right. You know, they're right. eyeing each other from across the party and he's, you know, super yeah. close. He's like, oh, my fault. Oops, sorry, sorry, my fault. Yeah. So, yeah, his, his silly slip on banana kind of humor is just like, okay. Whatever, Chevy Chase. Um, so. I I did look up um, exactly where the opera scenes were filmed because I went to an opera at mm. the San Francisco Opera House just this past June. And mm. I, of course, took a bunch of pictures. And I was trying to compare the pictures I took like from the outside and inside of the um, opera house. And it turns out that the opera scene, scenes that were actually filmed in San Francisco we're actually at City Hall, which is, I believe, right across the street from the Opera House. So, mm. similar kind of exteriors, but not exactly the same. But it was pretty cool realizing, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was at a, the San Francisco Opera House barely a year ago, and I hadn't been there in many, many, yeah. many years. So, Yeah, I was trying to see, you know, I'm always kind of interested whenever something's being made. And, you know, with San Francisco as a setting, like, how much of it is actually San Francisco. and Decent amount. Um, a, a majority of it is the one scene, like the movie theater that she goes to um, when she um, meets up with Scotty, the uh, mm -hmm. the uh, undercover agent. Um, that's actually in L.A. Because yeah. I was like, what theater is this? This looks like a familiar theater, but it, I don't think it's anyone in San Francisco. And yeah. it wasn't. No. So. And yeah, this movie was actually nominated for seven Golden Globes. And it, wow. and it actually ties the record with a couple other movies for awards that didn't win <laughs> and um because it was nominated for best musical or comedy best actress best actor and best supporting actor plus and like best song and oh because barry manilow <laughs> well not apparently the song was not written by barry manilow but he sings it oh. and when when the movie started my wife who is a closet Barry Manilow fan, or maybe just she just grew up hearing Barry Manilow as a kid. As soon as the song started, she was like, "Oh my God, it's Barry Manilow! How could you have never showed me this movie?" So, you know, funny. that was funny. And but, then they uh, play Copacabana in it too when she goes oh, into the bar to pick up Dudley Moore to bring yeah, him back. Quote to unquote, play. pick him up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, it was really great getting to rewatch this movie. Um, I didn't, you know, it's funny is I was in a, I was in um, 
a music store that sells used DVDs. And I knew that we were eventually going to do this movie. And I saw this movie on sale for like three or four dollars. I was like, I'm picking this up because I might as well. I got to watch it. That's how much I'm going to spend probably to rent it online. So I bought the DVD and it was fun to kind of kind of watch it that way. And it's and it's definitely um, I don't know. I think it's it's a fun movie and it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of timeless i mean the only i I guess the thing that makes life different now is technology you know and you know someone would probably have a cell phone and call for a ride and not you know wait to get and not hitchhike (laughs) to yeah stuff like that stuff definitely would would be different nowadays but i mean i think people I, i think if anyone wanted you know like a fun kind of mystery sleuthy kind of movie i think you know that's also a comedy yeah i'd recommend this movie i thought it was great i was again i'd only seen it probably twice and it was when i was a kid so it was great to revisit it and you get young you also get young goldie hahn who was really good in it i mean this is before like she she had really kind of taken off with like private benjamin and and um what was that there was another movie from the 80s that she was in that I remember us watching where she ended up having to like make a deal uh like help out it was with it had something to do with someone in like the Middle East it was called Protocol Protocol we had watched that movie and that came out in 84 so I don't remember that movie as well you don't remember Protocol mm, not, not so much before Overboard and all that so she had... yeah she did Private Benjamin almost right after this one that came out in 80 so right um yeah no this this movie this movie's great this is a lot of this is very very fun and she's you know you really root for her i mean yeah she she's in almost every scene too i mean she oh yeah she's really you know the lead in this whole film but the villains yes. that they got were all very were all you know they almost all felt like Batman villains a little bit, you know. What I mean, just how <laughs> how silly they were and how extreme yeah. they were, but but they were great. I mean, you, yeah. And again, the whole um, the whole misdirection of the dwarf and it not actually even being a short person, no. even though there's three other very short men in the movie that yeah that that whole scene by. where that whole scene with the Bible salesman uh, who also is a little person kind of still plays on the whole like scene when when she picked up Dudley Moore in the bar where like they're both just saying all the wrong, all the right things it just can be taken yeah. a different way so. yeah it's, it's fine I, I blame her more than Dudley Moore's character for the miscommunication and that all she had to do is just say there's a man following me I need you to help me that's all she had to do <laughs> and then he would have been like oh 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 and then it would have gone the whole but no then we wouldn't have had him you know playing staying alive and turning on his what kind of what kind of lighting was that with the with the different it's not strobe lighting what was that no, it was like it was like it was like a disco light it was just kind of like a, a disco lighting with uh it was because i think he actually actually i think he might have had a, a mirror ball in the coming down but it, it had disco lighting and and then and, that sad bed that was judging him like it would close and then it would oh, open again no, like, it was a it, it was a murphy oh, bed no. it was a murphy bed that had it had a mirror on the ceiling, whatever. Oh my god. 
And then he had like that that little um, closet with all the blow up dolls and, <laughs> and all the sex oh, toys. My, my, that's for my niece. My niece got me that or whatever. Oh my god. So yeah, that scene hands down is my favorite scene. Yeah, so definitely. funny. Well, I think um, I think we've beaten these two movies to death. Yeah. So um, I want to thank everyone. Style. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, again, we're testing out this new recording system here, so I hope it was yeah. okay. And we will, you know, when we get to editing this, hopefully everything turns out okay. But the situation is what it is. We're just trying to help out and do our part. Everyone, hopefully, out there is being safe and um, healthy, healthy, protecting themselves and each other. We just hope that we can get back into the FOTV studio and record together soon. But I, I have miss a feeling, my family. <laughs> I think that this is going to, I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty long stretch. So you might have to listen to a couple episodes like this. Yeah. And um, you know what? We're, we're dedicated to this project and yep. we enjoy doing it. So whatever we need con- to do. Hopefully the content will help you stay distracted for a little bit. You know, it's again, it's entertaining for us to watch a couple movies just to get our mind off of scary things that are going on and be able to talk about very silly things that the movies cover. So that's right. So again, I'm Matthew. I'm Nancy. This is Fighting Over the VCR. And uh, wash your hands. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hi again. There was one moment in foul play that was so brilliant, and I can't believe Matt and I forgot to mention it. But it involved two old ladies playing Scrabble. And playing Scrabble using very silly words. Like, bad words. It was great. And I didn't want the end of this episode to go without mentioning it. Have a good night.